The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. What's up? This your boy, Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Okay, this one is for the fans of Serial and Radiation. Two great tastes that once upon a time, MIT said, taste great together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was some experimentation. I don't really like it when my cereal glows and, you know, makes me glow. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that could be fun, right? That could be a branded activation, right? <laughs> <laughs> With like trolls, maybe? Yeah. Uh, plutonium bits. Uh, I'm just thinking what our different radioactive cereals could be named, uh, which you're going to hear in today's classic episode folks, is a true story, a conspiracy to feed children cereal in the 1940s and 50s, but it's not, thankfully, the kind of cereal you would see in a grocery store today. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. Uh, you probably go by a name as well. That makes this stuff they don't want you to know. I'm excited about uh, this one today, guys, because this is a deep cut. And before we get too into it, I want to uh, extend an on-air thank you to our colleague and uh, personal friend, 
uh, Josh Clark, who, uh, as he so often does, accidentally hipped us to this. Oh, he posted it or mentioned it in an article or something? Yeah, he's got a great blog that you can check out right now if you wish uh, about the – they call it the coolest stuff or best stuff we read this week. Mm-hmm. And so it's – if you've got time, it's a, it's a great place to go. Everybody here at How Stuff Works, as you might imagine, reads stuff constantly. And uh, so we found out about a, a very a very strange historical thing. That, that we thought most folks in America and abroad wouldn't know about. And it starts with two entities that ostensibly have nothing to do with each other. Yeah, it feels like apples and tractors to me, two just so separate entities. Or, or like uh, uh, badgers and uh, Cheetos. Yeah. Hairbrushes. And hairbrushes. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, or like asteroids and... Venus flytraps. And Venus flytraps, exactly. Two things that don't seem like they would make sense together. Uh, so wh- wh- what's the first one? The first one is the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. You probably know this as MIT. It was founded in 1861. This is So this is an old institution that we're talking about mm-hmm. here. Very prestigious. A lot of great thinkers and uh, makers have come out of this. Oh, yeah. It's been around for a long time. It's won all kinds of prestigious awards. Right. And uh, it's become home to some of the world's eminent scientists, statesmen, and economists. Uh, the guy who invented condensed soup went there. Whoa. Uh, 29 alumni uh, from MIT have won Nobel Prizes. That's pretty good. And, Noel, you'll like this one especially. More than one third of the nation of the U.S. space flights have included MIT educated astronauts. And NASA has chosen more MIT graduates to become astronauts than graduates of any other private institution. Well, I have a space camp shirt. So you're pretty much in. And I just ordered myself a NASA trucker hat. On Amazon, so that should be arriving any day now, and I'm yeah. thinking about dadding it up and walking around town with my space camp shirt and my NASA hat on. Yeah. Dude, speaking of that, I found my picture of, I think I sent it to you, you did. my picture you of did. my space camp yeah. suit when I was a, a little wee one, and uh-huh. I'm thinking about putting it on our Instagram. Oh, you should. Yeah, yeah. Oh, please, please do. You should. It's or, or at least okay. send it to me. I'm, I'm curious. Okay. Uh, so another, another uh, prestigious fact about MIT uh, that has nothing to do with this show is that both hosts of Car Talk attended MIT. Click and clack? Click and no clack. No way. Yep. Brothers? Mm-hmm. Out of control. But anyway, you get the, the TLDR, the quick and dirty of this is MIT for centuries has been this amazing uh, hub or seat of knowledge, innovation, wisdom, and, uh, you know, the future of humanity. For scientific testing, technology, every, all things above. And now for something completely different. <laughs> yeah, completely and utterly different. So we have thing A. Now we're talking about thing B, which is Quaker Oats. The company that would become Quaker Oats actually formed in 1901 when four oat mills not oatmeals. Ha ha. Oh. I feel so bad that I actually wrote that joke in the notes. <laughs> and you even have a little ha there <laughs> to indicate that it's a joke because some people might not have known. Because it's not a good joke. So these four mills, what make oats, or go. mill oats rather, mm-hmm. um, they combined, merged, shall we say, into a single super mill. 
That was the dawn of the oatmeal tycoons, which is a phrase that Ben loves for some reason. Why I love it because it's an excellent phrase. Remember those old video games where it'd be like roller coaster tycoon or uh, I don't theme know. Theme park. They had all theme kinds of things. park tycoon. I would love to play a game called oatmeal tycoon. I don't know what you, you know what. Actually, I think I like the idea of it more than the actual thing. It'd be pretty boring. For some reason, when I think of an oatmeal tycoon, I picture some sort of fat cat smoking a cigar mm-hmm. in a giant golden tub full of oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could totally see that. And and maybe, uh, you know, maybe his cigar looks like a spoon. I don't know. There are a lot of questions about this. Yeah, let's workshop this one. But um, so, yeah, the original Quaker Oats trademark um, began in 1877 when one of the founding mills used a Quaker-esque man. You may know him. Sort of looks like a pilgrim. Like mm-hmm. he may have been on the Mayflower. Right, yeah. You know, he's got a sort of a long white shocks of hair. A mane, I would yeah, say. Yeah, a bit of a mane and, uh, and a tall hat, right? Yeah, he has uh, he has that distinctive look that we have come to associate with Quakers, whether fairly or unfairly. Uh, the Quaker movement is still around here in the U.S. and abroad, and uh, it's it's a group of very kind people. And the whole idea of using that image was that it just instilled trust in someone because there's the quality is going to be perfection coming from these guys. Well, I mean, and and. It is the very picture of wholesomeness, mm-hmm. and that's a word that's often associated with yeah. uh, whole grains and good c- foods. You know, healthy foods like that—they're they're wholesome. They're that's good right because because oats like this—they're they're good for you, right, Ben? Yeah, right. That's the idea. They're nutritious. Uh, you'll hear you'll hear some weird stuff about the Quaker man, right? I love that we're mm-hmm. pointing out the wholesome stuff. Nowadays, the company says that he is just a, uh, he's not representing an actual person. It's just a man who's dressed in Quaker garb. But the earlier advertising in 1909 identified him as William Penn, the 17th century philosopher. But they, hmm. you know, they later, I guess, retconned that. Is that the word? Well, yeah, because it's evolved so much over time. We're talking about the 1870s, 1850s, even when yeah. it was first starting out. So. Gosh. Side tip, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to, uh, if you want to impress your serial insider friends, if you're in the know, they call him Larry. They call him Larry for True real? Story, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's one. That's like the nickname. Anyhow, uh, they started with Quaker oats and people loved it. This whole Quaker thing worked very well for them. They caught on like gangbusters. Yeah. And they, and they began to grow into other areas, right? Like wildfire gangbusters. <laughs> yes. Right. They, yeah. So, for instance, uh, they started with other breakfast cereals, other food and drink products, even into unrelated fields. Uh, for example, in 1969, they bought Fisher Price, which many of, many of us listening may recognize as a toy company that is just running the early, early age market, right? Yeah. There's telephones with the, uh-huh. the, the clinky wheels and the, there's a face on it. Any, any of those like classic Toy Story toys that have been animated in the Toy Story movies were probably originally made by Fisher Price. Yeah. And so they, they owned that. The oatmeal place owned that for a while and then they spun it off in the nineties, but they were also involved with making film. Didn't see that one coming, did you? Yeah. Before researching this, I had no idea that Quaker Oats had financed, uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. What? 
that doesn't it doesn't seem like that, right? But they they had a reason for this. Um, they were going to be able to use some of the product names that are used in the film to actually sell it and leverage it. They would become popular through the film. They wanted to sell gobstoppers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then they also, in 1982, formed U.S. Games, a company that created, uh, as Noel would say, Vidya Games for the Atari 5200. Wow. Yeah. They didn't do so well, though. So that Quaker guy's got his... Fingers and all kinds of different stuff. Mm-hmm. He's got he's got his mitts on all kinds of oats, you know. Uh, in '83, they bought uh, Van Camp's Bean Products and uh, Stokely Van Camp, and then Gatorade. Mm-hmm. And currently, they're owned by PepsiCo. So, in their own way, they have also become quite successful. MIT, a seat of learning. Quaker Oats, uh, a, a global company that started with oatmeal and then quickly cornered so many other markets. As you can see, this company has a very little in common. Until that is, they join forces. And to really look at this, we need to look at the history of competition between different companies and different products back in the day. So uh, 1940s, let's say. Let's go mm-hmm. back there. Okay, we're there. After its founding, it's doing really well expanding its markets, going to new places in the United States, going all across the, the great lands. Um, and it's trying to dominate overall the cereal industry. What you eat for breakfast, it should be this. Well, their chief rival was an outfit that you may also know called Cream of Wheat, right? You've heard of this. It's a wheat, I, I think it's semolina product mm-hmm. that's kind of similar to oatmeal. Um, but it's a little... Creamier. It's a little creamier. Um, but they were get, they were getting big too around that time. But it wasn't their only antagonist. Well, another antagonist here uh, was science. Because at the time, a widely <laughs> publicized study actually found that plant-based grains contained an acid called phytate, which could actually hinder your digestive system um, in a way that would keep minerals and vitamins like calcium and iron from being properly digested. Ah, right. Yes. And there's another less obvious point here. Longtime listeners, you know what's happening concurrently in the U.S. at this time. This hubbub occurs in the 1940s. It's a few years after bacon inexplicably becomes a fundamental part of the American breakfast. Was it inexplicably, though, Ben? That's to say, that's a Mm -hmm. great point, Noel, because we explicate it. Uh, fairly handily in some earlier episodes. The uh, first episode we ever published. Yes, our podcast on Edward Bernays, a.k.a. the father of spin, a.k.a. the father of PR. A.k.a. the father of Bernays sauce. (laughs) (laughs) A.k.a. the nephew of Sigmund Freud. Uh, So he was, uh, we won't get too into detail about this, but he was tasked by an outfit called the Beech Nut Company to popularize uh, some leftover pork products that they had, and he used some fairly uh, clever but indirect methods to make bacon a, a popular thing because beforehand people would eat maybe a bowl of oatmeal, maybe a, a, a croissant. And some fruit coffee. Yeah. I would liken it to the way all of a sudden all of these uh, Taco Bell products have like Doritos in them. Yeah. You know, I think it's sort of like a marketing <laughs> ploy to get rid of all the surplus Doritos. That's my theory. I don't <laughs> yeah. know if that's true or not, but you know, this is a pretty brilliant example of like, hey, let's take uh, 
meat scraps uh-huh. and turn yeah. them into meat gold. Well, yeah, think about what bacon is, right? It's essentially fat back. It's the fatty yeah. stuff. And let's also think about how different bacon in the U.S. is to bacon in Europe or bacon in other parts of the world. Oh, yeah. And yeah. the way he got it done, right, was he... he got doctors to discuss how important protein is. Right. He had a study. I hope you can hear the air quotes I'm making, ladies and gentlemen, a study. (laughs) (laughs) So, so we've got, we've got Quaker Oats and they're vying for competition. The cereal market, they have uh, an enemy in this publicized study and people are Worried about nutrition, but they're also thinking, well, bacon's just better. They needed a plan, preferably not just an ad campaign, but something that felt more objective. A study, if you will, to contradict the other study floating around in the zeitgeist. And they had a stroke of luck. So they found out that the first entity we discussed, MIT, was going to be studying nutrition in the human body. That's thing one. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so, you know, they hear about this. Somebody in one of their offices just went, Eureka, we're doing this. They jumped at the chance to fund the research that MIT is trying to do with this uh, because they thought this was going to be exactly what they needed. Right. To provide satisfactory evidence, not just of cereals benefits in general, but of Quaker oats in particular, mm-hmm. rather than those creeps at cream of wheat or beech nut. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if the, I don't think they were creeps. I just, <laughs> I thought it sounded good. So they needed a group of people, yeah. right? They needed a, an experiment and a control group. They needed ideally some young guinea pigs. As Noel said, this was especially touted as nutritious for the young and the growing. They needed kids who would sign on willingly. They needed kids who wouldn't ask questions. And we'll learn more about those kids they selected right after a word from our sponsor. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand. Temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag-A-Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. From 1945 to 1956, approximately 57 to 73 children from the Walter E. Fernald State School were recruited to join what was referred to as the Fernald Science Club, which was at MIT. Um, Fernald was a home for the, quote, this is a really, really nasty term, feeble-minded that refers to what we would now describe as being developmentally disabled. Mm-hmm. Kids. Um, and in many of these cases, kids who simply had been abandoned by their parents. That's an important factor here. The children at the Fernald uh, school were not all disabled in some way. They, I, I don't know the polit- politically correct terms for this. Sure. Um, the terminology that's used in the research we were done, like that was written in the 1940s is much less than um, I would say satisfactory from a politically correct standpoint. That is an important factor here. Not all of the children were disabled. Many of them were just abandoned or, you know, they needed a place to right. stay. So children with special needs, uh, whether those needs are due to a developmental uh, factor or whether they're due to a social factor, mm-hmm. such as being abandoned. So for these kids who are, let's face it, folks, having a rough time in life, uh, this MIT Science Club seems like a windfall. It grants the children special privileges. They go on field trips. They get neat toys and swag, like Mickey Mouse watches, for example. And they get special events. You get to go to baseball games, yeah. see the Red Sox and stuff. They also got nutritious meals all the time. Yeah, at very controlled intervals. And very high in calcium and iron. Talk about talk about a uh, catbird seat, right? <laughs> a what? A catbird seat. It's a good seat. Have you you've heard that phrase, right? Of course. I don't know this. The catbird seat. Tell me. I mean, I don't know what it we, means. We don't know what it means. Oh, okay. It's just it's, it's, <laughs> it means it's you're in the best place. It's okay. a good situation. I'm gonna say it's a cat indoors. I'm assuming. Oh, that can grab birds, maybe. Or, or maybe it's outdoors on a seat, strategically able to catch birds. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe I should also learn the etymology of these colloquialisms before I spout them out. That's overrated. <laughs> All right. But but the point is, it would have been, it seems like it would ostensibly be a great thing for these uh, disadvantaged children. However, not all was as it seemed. See, here's the thing, you guys. Uh, some of these children were unable to read for various reasons uh, when they were told to sign and consent to joining the science club. Also... The children who actually had parents or guardians to uh, to consult about this 
Well, they weren't very, they weren't much better off because what was sent to them mm-hmm. wasn't exactly truthful in every case. Yeah, it, it wasn't as transparent as one would imagine. And we have a quote to prove it. And this is an excerpt from one of the notes written home to the parents of a child requesting permission for them to join the science club. And these letters evolved over time uh, as because we're talking about a wide range of dates here from mm-hmm. the 40s to the 50s. Yeah. But this is just one little snapshot of one of those letters. I'll give this a go if you fellows don't mind. Um, quote. We are considering the selection of a group of our brighter patients, including name of child, to receive a special diet rich in irons and vitamins, or as I like to call them, vitamins, for a period of time. These studies will cause no discomfort or change in the patient other than a possible improvement. I hope that you have no objection that your son or daughter is voluntarily participating in this study. And again, that is an excerpt from a sample permission letter sent home to the parents or guardians of these children. You have to love the phrasing, right, guys? Mm -hmm. Uh, I hope that you have no objection that your son is voluntarily participating means it's already happening. Yeah, it's It's happening now. uh, So what MIT did not tell anyone, including the parents, including the children, and maybe even the functionaries at this state school, was that the calcium and iron that they were feeding to these science club participants was irradiated radioactive calcium and iron functioned like tracers. So the scientists could watch the progression of these radioactive substances through the children's body during the digestion process. And it should be noted that, I mean, today there are radioactive materials are used in this way. For example, a Mm -hmm. stress test, patients are injected with radioactive dye. They can then track the movement of it through their bloodstream in order to see that everything's, you know, in tip-top shape, what have you. But this was not... This was not the same as that. This was much more of a experimental approach, shall right. we say. Yeah, and yeah. also if you're signing up nowadays for that kind of test, you know what's happening. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not being told you're joining a fun club for baseball games. You know what's happening. There's it's a usually one or two times that it's going to happen in you know what maybe a follow up. You have to do it again. It, so the dosing that you're getting is fairly low. We have a specific example of uh, two of these tests. Yeah, the first, the first, uh, they they would say a battery of tests occurred in 1946. Uh, that's when 17 boys ate this, you know, radioactive iron in their meals. It was an isotope that apparently can harm blood and specifically the organ, the spleen, which we don't think about very often. Um, and and the the whole thing here again is dosages, right? That's what you have to worry about with anything like this. So they were the boys were being exposed to between 544 to 1,024 millirems of radiation over the course of seven different meals. And just to compare this dosage with the amount of radiation the three of us or anyone listening might receive throughout the course of a year. In the U.S. In the U.S. in particular, that would be around 300 millirems from all the different natural, naturally occurring sources of radiation. Sunlight, bananas, things like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then also the team calculated uh, calcium digestion by adding radioactive, uh, radioactive form of calcium to the breakfast milk of 19 boys. And this time, each kid only had one radioactive meal and exposed their bones to 35 millirems of radiation. 
By comparison, again, during their lifetimes, most Americans will receive 110 millirems of radiation on their bones from the fallout of nuclear weapon testing. Wow. So uh, the next question you probably have is, how did people learn about that? Because the passages that we just told you with the details of some of these illegal, unethical tests uh, came to light through uh, through quality journalism. Yes, we learned about it from Scott Allen, who was writing for the Boston Globe, and he found out about it because a lot of documents around that time had been declassified about this testing that was occurring throughout the United States, but mostly in Boston. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this this led to uh, some pretty uh, pretty significant reactions in in Congress. Right in 1990, uh, well, eventually in 94, what happens is that President Bill Clinton forms the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments, or uh, because we live in a world that loves awkward acronyms, ACR, 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 ACR. Uh, it was chaired by, uh, it was chaired by Dr. Ruth Faden of the Johns Hopkins Berman Institute of Bioethics. And Clinton's, this, this happens to, like Matt said, the, the way these documents got released, Clinton's Secretary of Energy, uh, who was named Hazel O'Leary, had instituted an openness policy. And so 1.6 million pages of classified records from the time of the Cold War and just after World War II and beyond were released. No WikiLeaks, no Snowden, no um, no Pentagon Papers. The this, government itself. The government itself, and that is how that is how these other journalists found out about this. But the records made it clear that when Quaker Oats and MIT were working together on this kind of stuff, the Atomic Energy Commission was also providing funding. And not just this, but they have been sponsoring tests, multiple tests in multiple situations on effects of radiation on the human body. Yeah, as it turned out, citizens of the United States who had checked into various hospitals for numerous different ailments um, were secretly being injected with varying amounts of plutonium and other radioactive materials without their knowledge. Uh, Or we assume their consent. Yes. If you want to learn more specifically about this uh, happening at the Fernald Research Center, there is a paper you can find on archive.org called Human Subjects Research Radiation Experimentation. It's uh, part of the hearing that Ben just mentioned that uh, when Bill Clinton and the administration created this group, this is one of the hearings where they have all the findings and interview tons of people, even two of the children who were experimented on at the Fernald School. Right, and there are interviews with several of them, as you said. Uh, it's strange to hear some of the descriptions. One thing we do want to point out about this study in particular is that despite congressional investigation, despite declassification, uh, there are still conflicting numbers mm-hmm. on some of this. So that's why you're hearing Nola, Matt, and I say stuff like, 40 to 70-something children. Mm-hmm. And you might see numbers as high as 90. And the age range is very widely. In one of those people that's interviewed says he was seven at the time. Right. Um, but then most of the reporting puts the children in their teens. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's kind of crazy. Well, in other words, it feels like a lot of this information is just scratching the surface of what the full extent of some of these experiments might have looked like. So, you know, it implies to me that there were more than one unethical radiation experiment going on. That's an excellent point. 
And speaking of scratching the surface, you're right. We have yet to begin looking at the other instances of Cold War radiation experiments. But we will, after a word from our sponsor. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop. Podcast producer? Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424. Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. And we're back. As we said before the break... This is one instance of a uh, radioactive experiment conducted on unsuspecting, unconsenting civilians. And uh, for those of you in the know about the effects of radiation on the human body, it's not as if these people were shocked or injected with some sort of instant cancer. It did, however. Uh, it did, however, expose them to an abnormal amount of radiation, and it is far from the only instance of this. We found in the course of just a little bit of digging various, numerous situations in which uh, unsuspecting citizens, some even unborn, uh, were treated as guinea pigs by Uncle Sam uh, for the uh, for the purpose of learning more about the effects of radiation. And did you notice what we just said? 
unborn. That's right. In uh, 1953, the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission ran several studies at the University of Iowa on the health effects of radioactive iodine in newborns and pregnant women. In one study, researchers gave pregnant women from 100 to 200 microcuries, that's 3.7 to 7.4 MBQ, of iodine-131, which is radioactive, in order to study the women's aborted embryos in an attempt to discover at what stage and to what extent radioactive iodine crosses the placental barrier. In another study, researchers gave 25 newborn babies who were under 36 hours old and weighed from 5.5 to 8.5 pounds um, iodine-131, either orally or through an injection, so that they could measure the amount of iodine in their thyroid glands. Yikes. And they kind of had it easy if they survived because prisoners in Washington and Oregon State at least those two states, uh, had their testicles irradiated. <clears throat> Soldiers were exposed to nuclear fallout. School children had radium rods inserted into their nose the same way that those, uh, what, what, what were they called? The, the pinchers, the forceps that are used to pull the brains out of mummies or out of corpses during the process of mummification. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had radium rods shoved up their nose and there were also cases where we, we've talked about this a little bit before, where radioactive chemicals in a gaseous form were released over U.S. and Canadian cities, measuring the health effects of radioactive fallout from nuclear bomb tests. Is that like the St. Louis one we spoke about on the right. chemtrails episode? Yeah. And there's something else. There's a thing called Operation Sunshine. That sounds fun and nice, right? It's Operation Sunshine. Mm. What is that, Noel? Yeah, it's basically body snatching. So 1,500 sample cadavers, uh, many of them babies and young children, were taken from countries from Australia to Europe, often without their parents' consent or knowledge, and were used for exposure experiments in this uh, very misleadingly named Operation Sunshine. Is that to see the effects on... A cadaver of radiation. To I see the effects on human tissue. Gotcha. Depending on the, uh, depending on the state of decay of the corpse. I wonder right. how much they actually learned from that study. I mean, it seems pretty brutal, but at least it's cadavers. Well, we right? have seen that science is such a double-edged sword. Some yeah. of the most valuable life-saving medical information has come from horrific acts of war. And I know, folks, that it may sound as though. Matt, Noel, and I are unfairly picking on the good old U.S. of A. We are presenting facts that are not theories of the things that occurred in this nation's history, but we are by no means dismissing the other experiments that occurred in other countries around the same time. In Russia, for instance, there was a nuclear exercise codenamed Snowball. In 1954, they detonated an RDS-4 nuclear bomb. This bomb is as powerful as the two bombs used in the American strikes on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The stated goal of the operation was military training to break through heavily fortified defensive lines. But what they ended up doing is exposing 45,000 soldiers to the epicenter of a nuclear blast. Not during the time they didn't drop the bomb on them, but they dropped the bomb and they said, go, go in there. So when we think about how disturbing and unethical it is for uh, 
dozens and dozens of children to be exposed to any kind of radiation mm. without their knowledge. We also have to remember this is a world in which other countries were also experimenting to, to scales that we cannot and we, we, we may never know the scope of at this point. And well, yeah, cause they're dealing yeah. with a new technology that they weren't sure about. Mm-hmm. Uh, 45,000 seems like a whole lot of test subjects for, you know, a, a single pool or for one big study. That sounds, that sounds a little overkill to me, mm-hmm. uh, to do that. You know, send a hundred guys in, then, yeah, I know. Right. And there have been other experiments in different countries. Uh, of course, the um, horrific things that groups of people can do to other groups of people when they decide they are, for one reason or another, subhuman, right? The same, the same brutal, sadistic experiments that occurred in World War II in both the European and Pacific theaters continue to a, a degree today mm-hmm. in places across the world. And, you know, maybe those countries don't have a significant cache of resources. So why would you stop the concentration camps in North Korea is, is the question that the real politic fans are asking themselves. And this leads us to, I mean, there, we do have to put some historical context in this. The, the idea of informed consent, as we understand it now, from an ethical viewpoint, didn't really exist back then. And they didn't, to Matt's point, like they didn't know what the full effects of this radiation might be. They were, they were learning something that they strongly felt was for the greater good. But, uh, with the Fernald experiments, we're specifically talking about children who perhaps could not consent legally to do this kind of testing, didn't have parents or guardians that could truly consent to it, and were misinformed or just not informed about the, you know, the experiments that were going on. So. It, does, it does give it an extra creepy layer of exploit, exploitativeness. Yeah. In okay. my mind. There's a great moment in the hearing where, and I'm not being sarcastic. I don't really, I, I believe in sincerity. There is a sincerely great, profound moment in the hearing where there, uh, one of the senators or one of the representatives is speaking to, uh, one of the officials from MIT. And they say, well, we didn't think we were doing harm. Uh, you know, this amount of radiation they're being exposed to is less than the amount of radiation I expose myself to when I use the X-ray foot machine at the shoe store, mm-hmm. which those were fairly common. Some of our listeners from that time may recognize that and also be aware that those did greatly increase people's chances of cancer. Uh, we just didn't know. It was just fun to do. But he said that, this MIT guy, and he says, well, you know, what's the harm, essentially? And and the representative or the congressional official says, you know, that's that's a great point. So why didn't you get anybody from one of our fine private schools here in Massachusetts? Why didn't you tell them what was going on and ask them if they wanted to do it? Which I which I thought was a, a powerful moment. Well, yeah. And another question that was asked in that that a similar exchange that occurred during those hearings was. Would you have allowed your child to join the science club if you knew if you knew what was happening? Yeah, that's interesting too. Even just the idea of it as a science club is 
really predatory sounding to me, you know, like it's, it's, it's certainly, well, they weren't doing fun science activities, you know, they were I mean, who being knows experimented what, yeah. on. Who knows what happened to us in space camp? Just seems like a, Whoa. yeah, well, that's, yeah, yeah that's true. Oh, wait, what happens in space camp stays, stays in space, in space camp. Oh, okay. It's yeah. the Vegas of NASA. Yeah. But, uh, but you yeah, know what I mean? Make, though? I, I just feel point. like, I feel like it has, it's almost like a, a creepy van that says free candy on it, you know, like, yeah. I, I don't know. It's just, that's, it, it's very icky to me. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And it is exploitative, especially to take children who have the odds stacked against them, uh, socially and, and probably would never have ordinarily encountered an opportunity of such charity. And it turned out to be a windowless van that said free candy on the side. Uh, but when, when we see this, we, we have to understand that these sorts of things are exactly what happens when people fall into the slippery slope of the greater good. Because mm-hmm. people's greater goods are not always the same thing. And then, you know, if this is wartime research and you're a scientist here and you're saying, well, there is a one in 2,000 percent chance or there's a one out of 2,000 chance that I will directly give one of these children a, an inoperable tumor or cancer mm-hmm. uh, later in their lives. But in doing so, I am essentially sacrificing this child to save the lives of hundreds of thousands of people in the future. I mean, is that is that true or is that something people tell themselves in the wee hours when they can't sleep? Yeah, I think it's both, right? It could it could very well be true with any of these kind of experiments that are awful for an individual or even a large group of people. Mm. Um, but in the end, as we saw from the unit 731, from the concentration camp studies, you know, that research was kept and used, right? Right. Yes. We have, we have in our earlier podcast on human experimentation, uh, we, we have an, uh, exploration of how that occurred, the kind of devil's bargain that the allied countries made at the close of World War II. And just like that, the Fernald research that was done on the science club was used to, to see how nutrients go throughout the body, how they're either excreted or absorbed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty awful. It was later used in some osteoporosis research. Exactly. So we'd like to know what you think about this, ladies and gentlemen. Do you think this kind of experimentation continues today? Now, I know people who really genuinely believe in chemtrails. I know they get a lot of flack on the Internet, and a lot of people will argue back and forth. It's a very divisive issue. But for people who are skeptical about that uh, about that concept, not the science behind it, if there is science, but for people who are skeptical about a government or a state level actor's sense of ethics or responsibility for the health of its people, then we have to consider things like this happen are, are happening now, probably, you know, somewhere in the world. So what does it make you think? Do you, do you think this stuff is worth it? Do you think it could have happened in a different way? Do you think that future historians will shed light on what may be happening now that we don't know about? We'd like to hear from you. And to prove that we are listening, it's time for Shout Out Corners. Our first shout out goes to Kyle P., who wrote us an email. He suggests that we make an episode about the psychology behind the mind of a conspiracy theorist. 
Ooh. Uh, he wants us to look at the patterns, perspective, and mindset of a theorist, um, whether it's wanting to believe there's someone in control, just distrust in authority, mental illness, or being aware of accepted conspiracies and remaining skeptical on others. Uh, he wants us to examine why uh, theorists are so obsessed with seeking and researching the truth. That's pretty good, like an overall examination of the mindset of conspiracy realists. What do you think, guys? Yeah? I'm into it. So thanks for writing, Kyle. Thanks so much for checking out the show, Kyle. Our second uh, shout-out of the week comes to us via Ashby Gray. Uh, Ashby says, recently discovered conspiracy stuff and stuff you should know to get through work. Loving it. Apparently, all these dudes are married. Dang. Hashtag single AF. Well, Ashby, thanks for writing. Uh, I think I got a little setup here from my crew. And that I mean, includes you, Josh and Chuck, if you're listening. Wagon my wedding. Sure. I am, I am not, in fact, married. I'm the hashtag unmarried AF. <laughs> thanks for watching. I too am unmarried AF. That's right. Noel, you are unmarried AF. For the record. See? For the record. Two out of the five. That's not bad, Ashby. In all seriousness, thanks so much for uh, checking out the show. And uh, for anyone who hasn't, for some reason, checked out our counterpart, Stuff You Should Know, give them, give them an auditory gander. They're worth the time. Finally, we have one from Connor J. via email. Dear Ben, Matt, and Noel, Fox Eyes, the second gunman, Tiger Blood, Flash and Light, Brown. He didn't make that up either. That's in the letter. Yes, mm-hmm. in the letter. And I'm, I'm, yes, I'm humbled by that uh, phenomenal nickname. My name is Connor. I am a 12-year-old from Minden, Louisiana, and seriously considering a trip to Atlanta. Come on along, Connor. Um, started out first on Stuff You Should Know, just 200 episodes to go, moved on to Stuff You Miss in History Class, dabbled a bit in brain stuff and stuff to blow your mind, and after all that rigmarole, listened to your podcasts and liked them better than the rest. Whoa. Heavens. An idea for one? What about some more internet mysteries? You know what, Connor? We just had a little sit-down where we hashed out some ideas for the calendar coming up and um there's there's an internet mystery on there that I am pretty excited about. I kind of yeah. had to sell these guys on it, but I think you're going to like it. So Connor, a shout out to you. Glad you're listening and um yeah, look for some internet mysteries to come. This concludes our but wait, it's not quite the end of the show. What if you're saying, hey, the episode's done, but I'm not. There's more stuff that I want to learn about this. I'm sad. <laughs> There's no reason to be sad, fellow uh, fellow listener, fellow uh, delver into the unknown and the dark edges of obscure history. Er? <laughs> <laughs> right. You can... You can uh, Check out some fantastic books that have been written about this and other similar events. We like to call this further reading because in the past people have asked us, you know, where can I find out more about this? Uh, so we found two uh, pretty solid books that you might enjoy. Well, maybe enjoy is not the right word. Uh, fascinate you. They yeah. may fascinate you. Where you can at least find more stuff. Mm. Uh, the first one is The Plutonium Files, colon, America's Secret Medical Experiments in the Cold War. And that is by Eileen Welsom. The second one is Undue Risk, colon, Secret State Experiments on Humans, and that is by Jonathan D. Moreno. Who was in those hearings. Exactly. He was in those hearings. And if you, if you want to get all the sources that we use, or at least the vast majority of them, if you head on over to youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff, check out the, the episode that's going to match up with this one. 
And in the description, you're going to find a huge list of sources where you can just dig for hours and hours. So uh, speaking of social media, online things, if you would like to follow us on Twitter and Facebook to see some of our stories that don't, for one reason or another, make it to the air or things your fellow listeners want other people to know about, find us at uh, Facebook and Twitter where we are conspiracy stuff. If you'd like to see a picture of our very own Matt the Madman Frederick as a child, all space camped up, then visit our Instagram where we are conspiracy stuff show. And if and that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is one eight three three S T D W Y T K. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.